You're listening to What's Contemporary Now, a show about culture, the people, places, and things that together make it up. Today we are speaking to fashion PR genius Lucien Pagès. His namesake agency was founded without any formal experience and today boasts an impressive roster including Caperni, whose show nearly broke the internet this season with the brilliant moment that entailed Bella Hadid having a dress sprayed on in real time before modeling it on the runway. Jacques Amuse, Saint Laurent, Schiaparelli, Loewe, Max Mara, J.W. Anderson, you name it, he's likely a part of it. In his ever-endearing French accent, he shares his outlook on whether or not it's possible to build a heritage brand today, if brands still need brick-and-mortar stores, and also lets us in on the story behind his unconventional but seemingly destined foray into fashion PR. This is Lucien Pages, and we are talking about what's contemporary now. Lucien Pages, obviously in our business, I think there's always the conversation around experience and how people come into this particular place. And when it comes to your story and how you made a foray into fashion PR, you actually, at the onset, didn't have any previous experience. So can we talk a little bit about what led to your move into this space and whether or not you found it beneficial that you didn't have any past training in advance? Yes, um, I wanted to be a, uh, I always say that, but I wanted to be a fashion designer. So I studied fashion. I was coming from South of France, from a little village, and I loved fashion and I can still not explain why. There is no reason because my family was not at all into that sophistication or interested by that. And they just fall down on me, this passion for fashion. Sometimes I link it to the fact that I was homosexual and I don't know, like maybe I have like an extraordinary taste. (laughs) But so I came to Paris to study fashion, to become a fashion designer. And I had a lot of internship at Saint Laurent, at Dior, uh, Saint Laurent with Monsieur Saint Laurent himself. We look like history now. Oh, Gianfranco Ferre at Dior. And um, it was the 90s and it was very vibrant, the fashion in Paris. And uh, we were going out with my friends and they were, the Edith Sliman was just starting. It was quite a moment, but I realized very quickly that I won't be a great fashion designer. And I wanted to work in fashion, but I wanted to succeed in fashion. I didn't want to be in a studio and not really making it because I had maybe a little ambition for my life. I don't know. So I realized I won't be at the level I want to be. And I started a new journey into fashion. I work quickly for a magazine and I become assistant of the artistic director, Marcus Coli. And we were producing imagery campaign and we were working as well for his life partner, Martin Sidbon, mm-hmm. that is a designer. And we were taking care of our fashion show, our image, but I was not doing PR for them. So after that, I became a PR by opportunity because I positioned myself like that in a very natural, organic way. And it's true that I always think that I arrived at a moment where being fresh was really important. And when I started, I didn't have any list of journalists. And it was important at that day because I started in 2006. So it was not like the revolution yet. You needed to know Susie Menkes and you needed to know, I don't know, Karine Rothfeld. And I didn't know them at all. And it took me so long to know those people. I started really like that, fresh, and I was just explaining to people why it was interesting to come to see that designer or that brand. I was really like straightforward, honest. I was using my brain to do PR, basically, and in a different approach than the other one. So I think that totally the fact that I had no experience was a a plus point. And also because the industry maybe needed that at that moment, Mm -hmm. because there was the big, big company like Carla Otto, KCD, and they were really at the top of their moment. 
like super corporate, iPad at the entrance, everybody dressed in black, and maybe the people needed something different and more human. And I think, humbly, I bring that somehow. And do you think the time that you had spent working with Mark shaped the way you moved into PR at all, as far as the perspective you brought or perhaps thinking through the lens of art direction? Yeah, because, you know, I don't, you know, but Marco is a legendary art director that worked mm-hmm. for uh, Jill Sander and uh, Yoji Yamamoto and when uh, David Sims was very young and Craig McDean and Nick Knight. So he's a legend in his domain. But as well, he started, and very few people know, he started as PR. He has his PR company. So he is a bit of PR as well, somehow. Mm. He has this talent. But what Mark and Martin learned me was the curiosity. There are people who were always curious about the other, always curious about young people, young talent. They were surrounded by the most talented people. They started to work with Eminem, Paris, Camille Bido Waddington, Frederic Sanchez, Julie Verhoeven, like the amazing roster of talent. And I think because of this, this ability of never being satisfied or never being bored. And this is something that they learn. And I try to do the same now I'm older Mm -hmm. and I see young people coming into my office or want to work with me or young designer that want to work with me. And that's for me, is something that they bring to me. Also patience. That is something that the new generation doesn't have at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's because of social media, because of becoming important on Instagram in five minutes or having people who love you on Instagram or I don't know, like there is a, a velocity of everything and people do, don't know how to be patient. I was patient. I was working during five years and a half with Ma. I was doing his coffee. I was doing his, his meeting. I was having meeting during hours in the morning just to catch up. We were totally taking the time. And now I have a different opinion about the time. And I think it's something that helped me a lot because I always see the big picture. And when there is a, like a issues or problem, because it's my job to manage all this, basically, I always see the big picture because I'm patient. And I know that what is important is a goal and uh, you have to enjoy the journey to go to the goal. But you never have to forget the goal and where you want to go. And it's take time. It's been 16 years I'm doing that job and people think I have my office since five years, you know. Mm. (laughs) But what are the differences in terms of your relationships to the clients that you represent when you represent certain brands versus consulting for others? What do those two labels mean? I always put in my proposal, Mm made-to-measure communication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's still there. It was there since the first day. In our proposal, tailored communication, but we put made to measure. Mm-hmm. It's mean that for me, of course, you have your own experience. You have your own team. There is things we do in a certain way, probably at the agency, me, my team. But we try to always think about the client, the designer, what he is and how he can be the best of what he is. For me, the, what the beautiful thing in fashion is that we talk to individuals. We have like strong individual. They are very unique or they won't be there. And when they are not so unique, they don't last. So we don't have to break that thing because it's their treasure Mm -hmm. to be special, to be unique, to have this vision. It's coming from their life, what they live in when they were a child, how they evolved in life, who they meet, who they work with. So this is the treasure they arrive with and we are managing to bring that to the best destination as possible. 
giving our experience and giving our advice. I try not to take people who are like also uh, competitors, mm-hmm. which is kind of a problem for me for my development. Because uh, if I this one in, in one category, specific category, I will not take the concurrent because it's not, it's bad. But the problem is that it's limited my development. So, but it's something that I have to accept. And it's important because I think the soul of the agency is there. It's like in this capacity of being there with each designer, each brand and proposing something for them. But it's challenging, you know, sometimes they challenge us with the list, like, oh, it's always the same list, but I want to create people as well. Sometimes it's just the mix that is making the difference. Or the <laughs> but what's the same list? Do you mean in terms of the outlets or the people you represent? No, no, no. When you do an event, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. people want you to find something totally different that mm-hmm. you don't for the other one. Mm-hmm. But you cannot, of course, we are sourcing new talent all the time, new key opinion leader, new artists. It's our job to mm-hmm. bring always uh, new faces, like, uh, like in a model agency. But um, we are challenged by our client. They are very exigent. Well, I'm imagining that everything, given that the world is changing so quickly, that brand development, PR, and other marketing strategies are also being forced to change along the way. So how is the job that you do different today than it was when you started? I know, I used to say that the tools has changed, but my job didn't change. Like my job is connecting people, being a link between designer, brand, and media on every range of media. A media is, can be an influencer because he has his own voice. A media can be a magazine, a media can be a newspaper, a media can be a website, a media can be an Instagram and an application. I mean, there is so many media, like YouTube as media channel. And maybe I like that idea that I do the same job, but I do it with different tools. We have much more tools, so it's fun. And as well, it's like we have more vertigo because there is so many things you can do. (laughs) And the rules has changed because before you knew what you should do, you were going to see this important editor, then Barney's was buying you. There was like a kind of a traced way to go to the success. And now it's much more open, like everything can happen. You arrive there, you have a strong community, you have a strong image. So you are noticed on social media. And after you can have success in the regular magazine because you started on social media to be big, it's completely upside down. But there is tool and there is a way of doing things and how you approach each tool. It's like the people now it's less than before, but like maybe two years ago, still there was brand that didn't want to be on Instagram or designer and don't want, oh, it's not for me. It's not for me. Instagram, it's there and it's so important. It's just how you will embrace it. How will you do it yours? Because... You can post on Instagram only selfie or you can post inspiration from an art gallery or picture. It's up to you. You do what you want with your Instagram. So it's the same for a brand. It's a communication. And I think with every new tool, TikTok is more complicated for brand mm-hmm. because there is not about control. And brand, as you know, they love to control. They control the image. And on TikTok, as you have to be spontaneous to have success, it's more complicated. So you need to work with people who do TikTok for you. And most of the time, the brand don't like it so much because it's maybe too funny or, you know, most of the brand had a very serious image. So some tools are more complicated for our fashion luxury uh, world. Yeah. And that's a perfect example of a way we all need to adjust and acclimate. And when it comes to things like shows, how important do you think that particular business model of a runway collection on season being a part of the calendar is today for a brand in comparison to perhaps years past? I don't. 
it was funny because during the pandemic, I done a lot of talk and everybody was like, oh, this is the end of the fashion show. Nobody will do a fashion show at the end. <laughs> like it was so dramatic. And I was saying the first day we could do fashion show, everybody will do a fashion show. <laughs> so uh, I never believe in that. I, I didn't dare to tell it because people wanted to hear that, that it was the end of the fashion show. Mm-hmm. So I keep it quiet, but I was thinking loud <laughs> that uh, that it was completely wrong. The fashion show for me is our rock concert. You know, if you are an artist, you won't stop the concert. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the way we express at its best the fashion is when we bring the emotion. The beginning of the show, the lights that start, the music that starts, the first row, who is at the first row, the first look, the model, the casting, excitement. I'm always excited by a fashion show. And I see that the young people are excited by the fashion show as well. They don't think it's an old model. They're just mm-hmm. super excited. It's a show. It's not only a fashion show. And even when you do like minimal show, it's still a show. You send mm-hmm. a strong message. I don't have any doubt about the future of the show. What we learn more is to use the social media, the image, the amplification mm-hmm. like of the fashion show. Before, the fashion show was only for the people who were invited. Now there is no fashion show without an Instagram live stream or a live stream. And everybody is counting the number of views of a fashion show. And it's, mm-hmm. it's huge, huge. It's, it's million, million people who see fashion show, even if they're not there. And sometimes you have 100 people in the room and you have a million people that see it. But they watch it because it's happened in real life. And that I'm sure because we experienced all the digital show and it was working at the beginning because people were craving to see something, to mm-hmm. see life. I mean, during the pandemic. Huh? But after they started to be bored, ah, I don't want any more digital fashion show. So this, I think this feeling, this energy can only be amplified if it exists in a real world. So I think the fashion show is there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it was there since a long time as well. So. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, shows are what I grew up watching on Fashion File and what made me love this industry. Yeah. Are you having a lot of conversations with different clients and outlets around Web3 and its fast approaching new world? Yes, but it's still, it's still shy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think people, they have a lot already to embrace all the new world. And <laughs> now they, there is a new challenge. Like, also, it's very technique. So I don't think fashion is at the level yet. Mm-hmm. I think it will come more from outside and then we will follow. When I see what people do right now is not so right. You know, when it's too at the beginning, it's never so good. Mm-hmm. So I think things will improve and it will be, of course, a big discussion, but we will need to be technically at the level. And I don't think the fashion is yet ready. I agree. That makes sense. And talking about these new platforms and spaces or even the live streams and how the audiences have grown so much more in terms of shows, how do you strategically achieve share a voice for your brands when it's such a loud and oversaturated market when it comes to information and people's attention spans? Like what are the kind of metrics that you're able to target to establish a large share of voice for each of those clients? You know, I love to have results mm-hmm. and I learned to my team this uh, passion for results. When you take care of a brand, you see it or you don't see it. My job is that 
I try that my brand are visible on every platform, on every media that people think it's vibrant that people say, oh, everybody talked about your brand. Everybody wear your brand. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. I'm very basic. I'm working with the brand, as I said before, to really underline the specificities. And now the community is also very important because you grow your community, you start your community and after you talk to the world. And I saw and I see and I work on projects that are so small and they are very visible. So for me, it's totally possible. Even I always say to my client, we don't need any more brand. Nobody needs a, a new clothes. Nobody needs new brand. Nobody needs new, new, new designer. There is so many. But if you are personal, if you are unique, as I said, then you have your place. Mm-hmm. But you will have to be super strong because nobody is waiting for you. Well, you bring up a really good point about new brands. I wanted to get your opinion on whether or not you thought it was even possible to build a heritage brand in the culture scape of today. Mm. I mean, culture just moves so much quicker. Do you think that's something that's still possible? I think maybe now it's more possible than the in-between. Because I was was really interested by this question Mm -hmm. because I noticed that since maybe Armani, Dolce Cabana, there was no more big brand create. You know, it was always referred to the past, Saint Laurent, Givenchy, but who recently built an empire and a brand with a lot of value that will go on forever. Mm-hmm. There was not so many. So I was really interested by the case of Jacquemus because he is loved by everyone. Everybody, everyone is curious about him. The young are obsessed. His products are everywhere. When you are in New York or even where I am now, there is like the Jacquemus bag. And Simon, he always said, because people were saying, oh, he will go there, he will go there. He has meeting with LVMH or he has meeting this and he has that. Somewhere true, somewhere not true. But he always said, I don't need a big house. My big house is Jacquemus. Always said that. And I was thinking, this is, this is what we are expecting. We are expecting someone that wants to build his name, like Yves Saint Laurent or Hubert de Givenchy or whatever or Dolce Cabana or Giorgio Armani built their brand. And that's why I love Simon because he was stubborn. He was really radical on that. And I think he can create an heritage brand. I think the value and the imagery of uh, Jacquemus, I think are so well established that it can go on. And I see more and more designers like that now. I think he opened the way of that, of being super strong on your own brand and wanted to create a house. There was this in-between moment where people were doing a, a house to get into a big house, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the new generation, they want their name on the face of a boutique. Or Also, I always do that when I meet a brand or designer, I always do that to imagine, will I see their name on a boutique? Will I see a boutique mm-hmm. of, with all the product? And sometimes it's not working. You cannot imagine a boutique of that designer because it's not real technically, but you can imagine what is a Jacquemus store and you can imagine the product and you see them in the store and it's real. And I see more and more people like that who have like their, their own world and they can do like the older designer, they can create an heritage brand. It will be complicated, but they need to want that as well. The problem is that before they didn't want it. Because I don't think they are less ambitious than the one before. Mm-hmm. They are much more ambitious. 
Well, that was the other question. Is it even still a goal? You know, is that what people want or is the goal to end up in an established house? Because they tend to take in the most promising new talent and own their name or their work under the banner of a much more established label than their own independent label. So how important do you think that is strategically for a brand to come out and have a brick and mortar space of their own? Is that still a huge, important factor? Yeah, because it's it's like having imagery, having a campaign. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't put the campaign in the magazine, it exists. It's important to show a full world. And for me, a, a store, it's not because I'm old and I want store. I don't know one store online. It's just because now a store is an experience and you enter into the world. Mm-hmm. Jacques Mus adds pop-up store that were really strong, like the one you done in Paris and the, the 24, 24, 24, and the one you done in Milan mm-hmm. that were like a kind of teasing of store and conceptual. And people went there, they were doing the line. And in the store, there was only one bag, the same bag in a one color. But they wanted to be there in the store. They wanted to take picture of that stand in the store. And why not buy it back? So it's, if you bring the experience into the store, it's really interesting. And it's what people are doing now. I think Gucci is doing that. I think all the people who, who are like a, a bit smart, they're doing that. They don't do a simple store with a clothes. They propose something. Mm-hmm, an immersive experience in a way. Yeah. It's not just having a restaurant in the middle of the store. It's much more than that. Also, you, you make the store li- uh, alive. Mm-hmm. And as a sort of summary, because you've given us so many incredible answers in this conversation today, I'd love to hear from your own perspective how you would describe the full kind of spectrum of your offerings as a PR. Because, you know, you had mentioned the sort of made to measure aspect. So there's a little bit of an a la carte. But including all of those offerings, what does that entail? Because obviously, in the case of a show, you're working with um, a production company and different people that are taking care of different aspects than yourself. But We're also even going back to things like the showroom and what you're able to lend pieces out to as far as press opportunities or KOLs or influencers or whoever. The brand does have a say in that process. So what is the full spectrum or menu of your offering as a fashion PR for the brands you work with? You know, I'm very basic. I'm doing relationship and I have a showroom. Mm -hmm. And in my showroom before, there was only stylists that were coming. Now there is celebrity stylists. Mm -hmm. Now there is influencer. We do the wardrobe for them for the fashion week. It's the same thing I told you. For me, it's how you use the tool. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to diversify my offer because mm-hmm. I, I didn't, people tell me, oh, you will earn much more money if you do content or if you do production. Mm-hmm. But it's not my job. And I love to work with people who know how to do it better. Mm-hmm. You know, they are my ally. Why I will become like uh, their concurrent mm-hmm. to make more money? I won't make more money because I will need to hire more people. I want to be the best of what I know to do. It's just that I don't have so much time mm-hmm. for myself. So why I would do more and more things <laughs> because at the end it's my name on the door mm-hmm. and people want me. So if I start to do content and if I start to do a production, they will want me. And I, and honestly, it's not possible. It's not technically possible. <laughs> so um, I think we have to be focused and I see my place in the industry and uh, I'm happy with my place and I want to stay relevant until I will retire. That's my goal. I mean, it's a good goal. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's scary fashion because you can get old very quickly. You know, you can lose it. Sometimes like they propose me celebrity, my team, I never heard about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm scared. I'm saying, oh my God, I'm disconnected. And sometimes 
I find profile on Instagram, send to my team, never heard about it and say, okay, yes, I'm still relevant. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want, as I said, I want to keep that curiosity because it's the only way that I can maintain my relevance in that industry because people pay me for my brain. Also, of course, my experience, but also my ability of proposing them solution and vision to get all together. Mm -hmm. It's a question of step fashion. There is many steps. As I said, we have the goal and each step matters to go to the goal. And after maybe we have another goal when we are getting there. Beautifully put. And again, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. It was an absolute pleasure to talk no, to you. No, I really love the question, to be honest. Oh, wow. Coming from you, that means a lot. <laughs> no, it's true. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Contemporary Now. Special thanks to our show's producer, Cheyenne Asadi, Joseph Topmiller and Chase Coughlin of The Black Soft for the original theme music, and Aaron Marr for visual design. Subscribe now for a new episode each week, and for additional content, find us on social or at whatscontemporary.com. <laughs>